listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 436, and today we are talking about books being released on October 31st, 2023, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Kelly Jensen, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Kelly, hello. Hello. How's it going? Ah, it's it's going. I have had a weird week, but I did get to listen to the new Britney Spears memoir and finished it and loved it. So that was a highlight. How about you? Oh, you know, so much going on. I got so many messages from listeners because, I mean, I'm sure I probably don't really quite sound like myself yet, but much better than last week. Um, and in hindsight, I realized I should not have recorded last week because I had a fever and like my voice was all but I just I hate missing shows and so all these nice people were like oh I heard you I couldn't believe that was you and I was like yep it was me (laughs) it really was me but yeah let's see highlights I've started reading again I read three amazing books in a row that I loved so much um, I'm not going to talk about them right now. I don't want to spoil it all. But I did talk about one with Patricia, which was The Dead Cat Tale Assassins. I did read the Britney Spears memoir. Also enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Very short, quick little snippets. Boom, 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 boom. Hits on all the highlights. Goes very fast. Mm-hmm. You know, and then, you know, and now I have to talk about all the nice people who reached out to me again this mm-hmm. week because of what happened in Lewiston, Maine. You know, we are safe and, you know, we're about an hour south of there and, you know, it's beyond words you know every time it happens wherever it is anything like this that's happening the whole world is beyond words all the time Mm -hmm. you know but i do want to thank everyone who reached out so yeah that's the week yeah i don't know you know there aren't really eloquent or particularly thoughtful ways to talk about i think it would be fair to put it this month has been brutal yeah on so many levels in so many ways and there's not a good way to articulate it i think that even people who have been very engaged and aware and active on levels for anything going on socially and personally culturally you know i think we've hit a point where it's just like how to get through the day is sometimes the the biggest question that can be considered. And I guess like by saying that, I just want to acknowledge anybody who is struggling with feelings and thoughts and worrying about whether they're doing enough or if they're doing too little, like sometimes you have to stop and breathe. And sometimes you have to stop and take your shoes off and go put your feet on the earth. And like, that's what you do for the day. Just remembering that, you know, the ground ground is beneath you and, that has to be enough sometimes. Yeah, it's really hard. And whatever people are doing to take care of themselves is okay. Mm-hmm. And if people try to make them feel otherwise, they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but books. We're going to get back to books. Very excited. <laughs> um, I do want to point out, I think I missed it last week, but this week, the corresponding area code to episode 436 is the Greater Cleveland Area Surrounding the city of Cleveland, but not the city and most of its inner suburbs. So, okay. So, like, around it? (laughs) Like a moat, apparently, 436, but not in it. So, hello to people in Ohio. Cleveland rocks, of course. I love that (laughs) song. 
And we're going to talk about books. And first, we're going to remind you that autumn is here, which means it's time to curl up with a great read and get cozy. Although now that I've said that, I should point out that it's 80 degrees outside right now in Maine. Um, so weird. <laughs> we had that this week, too. Like, we finally are coming down from it, but it was bizarre to have a couple 80-degree days here in Chicagoland this week. Yeah. Yeah, so wild. But technically, it's autumn, I guess I should say. And whatever your version of cozy looks like, whether it's romance, creepy reads, modern classics, or escapist reads you crave, TBR can help you find the perfect books for your fall reading with options curated to your specific reading tastes. Visit mytbr.co to find out more and sign up. It only takes a few minutes, so check it out at mytbr.co. And now we're going to hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by William Morrow. I'll be dead in three months. Come tell my story. Imagine someone told you that. That's what Sebastian Trapp, a reclusive mystery novelist, told to his longtime correspondent Nikki Hunter, an expert in detective fiction. So with only a few months left to live, Trapp invites Nikki to his spectacular San Francisco mansion to help draft his life story, living alongside his beautiful second wife, Diana, his wayward nephew, Freddie, and his protective daughter, Madeline. But soon, Nikki finds herself caught in an irresistible case of real-life detective fever. Make sure to pick up End of Story by New York Times bestselling author A.J. Finn for a book that gives knives out, that gives White Lotus. You'll like this if you like books by Lucy Foley, Nita Prose, and others. So make sure to pick it up, check it out, and thanks again to William Morrow for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by National Geographic Books. The Cave is the incredible memoir of Imani Balur, a young doctor and activist who ran an underground hospital in Damascus, humanizing the enduring crisis in Syria. The only woman to have ever run a wartime hospital in Syria, she saved many from the atrocities of war while having to face the patriarchal conservatism around her. Amani Balour is a game changer. Listen, she will be remembered as one of history's greatest. She's a passionately committed humanitarian, and she is determined to help others escape the horrors that she survived. Make sure to pick up the memoir, The Cave by Amani Balour and Rania Abuzaid for a memoir that expands on the 2019 Oscar-nominated film by the same name, which documents her experience running the hospital, shielding children from horrific sarin attack, losing colleagues, trying to employ more women in the hospital, and eventually leaving and becoming a refugee. So make sure to read about this amazing woman. And thanks again to National Geographic Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so this is the Halloween episode. I It like just occurred to me, I said it when I was you know lining us up to get ready to record, and then I forgot. So I wanted to ask you, before we start talking about books, Kelly, what is your favorite Halloween costume that you ever dressed up as? That I've ever dressed up as, I think. Yeah. I went as the economic stimulus in 2008, I think it was. And it was the easiest and funniest little costume, just like a green shirt, but I taped $100 bills all over myself and I had a pair of $100 bills as earrings. Um, and then this year, my daughter is going as a garden gnome and it is the cutest little costume ever. And... I was inspired to, like, dress up as something for the first time in forever, so I'm going as a mushroom this year to be her little toadstool. <laughs> Very on point. <laughs> we were talking about how mushrooms are big in books, I mm -hmm. think, last yeah. episode. So. Yeah. So very hip, the mushroom. 
what about you? What's been your favorite? Well, my favorite one that I dressed up as is I wore a pageant gown and a crown and a sash and I had a bunch of roses and my sash said Miss Anthrope. And I thought I was very clever, but people just kept coming up to me constantly being like, I don't get it. I don't get it. And I was like, this is the exact opposite of what I wanted to happen. Like, (laughs) so eventually I just went home, took it off, read a book, you know. So that's, yeah, I think that was my favorite one. I was usually like some kind of cat. When I was a child, surprising no one. I yeah, I was a cat many a time. Yeah. Um, so I cheers for a cat costume. It's an easy one and it's a good yep. one. Yeah, cats, they're great. All right, so because today is Halloween, there are a lot of scary books coming out, and <laughs> we are going to talk about a few of them today. I am going to kick it off with my first pick, which is The Reformatory by Tanana Reeve Dew. Do is one of the best horror writers and storytellers of our time. This I am convinced of. Uh, she wrote The Good House, which is this amazing horror novel about a creepy house. Not so good. Um, when people are like, oh, I want to read more books like Stephen King or I want to read Stephen King, I always recommend that they pick up this book instead. Uh, she wrote the collection Ghost Summer, which will highlight all the reasons why I don't go in the water. She had a collection called The Wishing Pool that came out earlier this year. That was really great. She teaches a class on black horror, which Jordan Poole participated in. Not Jordan Poole. He's from the Golden State Warriors. (laughs) Jordan Peele. (laughs) I got it backwards. I've been watching a lot of NBA. She's just amazing. And like a lot of horror, this novel is based in fact. It is about a segregated boys reform school in Florida in 1950. Robbie Stevens is 12 years old. He lives with his sister. His mother has died. His father has had to go on the run. He tried to unionize the black workers in their town, and it really upset a lot of people, read white people, uh, and they falsely accused him of a crime. So now he's on the run because, you know, something horrible will happen to him if, if he's caught, even though he didn't do what they say. So it's just the two of them, Robbie and his sister, Grace. Grace had to drop out of school when her father left, and she gets a job as a housekeeper. And one day while she's walking Robbie to school, the teenage son of a local white family, this family that is probably the most powerful family in town, they own the most land, um, and on whose property many black men have gone missing over the years, he comes out and tries to put his hands on Grace. When Robbie yells at him, the boy shoves him down, and Robbie stands back up and kicks the boy, which is like he was just defending his sister. But the boy's father sees it and comes out and knocks Robbie to the ground and has him arrested. So Robbie is taken to court. He's 12 years old. He's never been away from home. He has no representation. He's not given a chance to tell his side of the story. He is sentenced by an incredibly racist judge to six months at the Gracetown School for Boys. Like, no trial. The judge just says, like, this is what's good for you. You're going to go for six months. And there are a lot of stories about this place, the Gracetown School for Boys. Many young men don't come back out of this school. Some of them are taken for crimes, you know, or, like, stealing a car. But some are taken for stealing food, and some are just simply sent there because they've been orphaned or abandoned by their family. And it's this really awful place. And the warden is a horrible, violent racist who believes in what he's doing uh, by using the word of God to, you know, make sense of everything that happens. He thinks that the school is doing the boys a favor, that, you know, it's making them better people and they should be lucky to have a chance to be there. And every beating that he gives them makes them a better person. 
Um, they do have a little schooling, but it's mostly renting them out to work in the fields on properties around the town. They are still profiting off the bodies of black people. And Robbie, before he was sent to the school, thought that he felt the ghost of his mother in their home. When he gets to the school, he definitely sees and feels and smells ghosts. Like on his first day, as the truck is pulling into the school, he smells smoke and he can hear screams. Uh, And he learns very quickly the lessons of the school. Not just, it's not just the adults who work there that he has to fear, but it's the older boys. You know, he needs to keep his head down, not talk back, try to stay out of what they call the fun house, which is where the beatings happen. But he also is being plagued by the ghosts of the dead kids at the school. Um, They're called haints. Um, Kids are apparently more able to sense them than adults. And Robbie sees dead kids all over the place. You know, how is Robbie going to survive all this horror? He's been told he's going to be there for six months, but that could change at any time. Uh, The kids are subject to the whims of the warden. He is, for some reason, able to change their sentence, like, on a whim. And most of the kids who end up there are held indefinitely until or until they're 21. And a lot of them don't ever make it back out. This reminded me a bit of my favorite horror movie, The Devil's Backbone, which was Guillermo del Toro's third film, I think. I don't know if you've seen that, Kelly, but it's amazing. It's about a child who is left at a haunted orphanage during the Spanish Civil War. So I think that's part of the reason why I loved this book. Shout out to that movie. If you want to watch something scary for Halloween, it's called The Devil's Backbone. And this is also based on real schools that were in Florida. If you've read Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead, that also covered those schools and the history of those schools. Do actually dedicates this novel to a relative who died at one of these schools as a child. I can't exactly remember. I'm sorry, I read this a long time ago. I believe it was a great uncle uh, who who died at, at one of the schools. So it's you know it's horror that highlights the actual horrors of these schools and of our world. Uh, and you know the ghosts are not really the monsters of this book. And as you can imagine, this comes with. A lot of content warnings, including loss of a loved one and cancer and repeated, repeated instances of racism, racial slurs, anti-Semitism, sexual assault, child harm, abuse, murder, and death. This is called The Reformatory, and it's by Tanana Reeve Du. I think something you said in there, uh, the ghosts are not the um, bad ones in this. I think that, I don't want to say all, but... I don't also want to say most, but a lot of ghost stories, it's not the ghosts who are the bad guys. And I think that that's one of the things that makes ghost stories so compelling. Yeah, it's a way to highlight social injustices Mm -hmm. and problems in the world, like a lot of like a lot of fiction does, but like in a speculative, scary way. Yeah. So my first book is not a horror one. Um, I'll get to that. But it's The Space Between Here and Now by Sarah Souk. And this is a time warp story, which is a story, like, structure I love. It's also a mental health story, and it's one that gives some feelings of Groundhog Day without being Groundhog Day, because there's not a repeated day. This will make sense as as I describe the story. So Amy Rowe is 17, and she has been diagnosed with what's called sensory time warp syndrome. For Amy, the syndrome manifests when she smells something that brings up a memory. So she's instantly sucked out of the present and dropped back into that memory. 
Sometimes these experiences happen for just a few seconds, but when we start the story, they've been lasting for minutes or longer, and they're causing people around her to be more concerned about the impact of STWS on Amy. It's an extremely rare condition, but those who struggle with it have found a lot of ways to connect and share their experiences with one another. Amy's dad thinks that she will eventually just grow out of it, Because he's a single father, Amy's mother left long ago, he is worried about her, but his own fears about her disappearances have kept him from taking her to see a specialist. Even when she disappears for nine hours into a memory of her estranged mother, Amy's dad still won't get her checked out. She isn't going to take it alone anymore, and Amy starts to wonder if her mother's disappearance from their lives Might it all be related to this disorder? It could be genetic. It's something that she's learned. So she's wondering if her mom struggled with STWS as well. But the only way she could ever find out is to track down her grandparents and ask. The problem is Amy lives in Vancouver with her grandparents living in Korea. So she does what any reasonable 17-year-old would do. She books a flight and informs her father that she is going to Korea. He is hardly happy, but she is ready to get the answers that he won't give her. So she arrives and she stays with a family member, hoping to make her way to a flower shop that her grandparents had owned back in the day. Amy's not confident that they own it anymore, but any information she could get would be a start. So when she finds her maternal grandmother and grandfather, she begins to unpack some of the history of her mother that she never knew, as well as the history of her mother's relationship with her own father. Another piece of her time in Korea is beginning to learn more about the sensory time warp syndrome. As she connects with other locals who have it, she learns of a ghost who haunts one of the local train stations and starts to discover more about STWS than she ever thought could be possible. So I don't want to say too much more since there are a number of surprises in this one, but it's a really powerful story of family and of understanding the challenges of the past and the ways that that gives us context for the present. Throughout, we are led to believe Amy's dad is a bit neglectful of his daughter, given her condition, but we learn there's a lot more to his story and his apparent neglect is something that is actually much more rooted in love and care for his daughter. At times during the book, you are asked to suspend disbelief, but it's all for a really good reason. You'll be right there with Amy in the moment when she time travels and when she actually travels to learn about herself and her history. And that is The Space Between Here and Now by Sarah Souk. Okay, my other pick for today that I read and loved is, no surprise, Edith Holler by Edward Carey. Edward Carey is one of my favorite authors. I talk about him all the time. He writes such unusual, imaginative stories. He wrote Little, um, Observatory Mansions is his first novel, which everyone should go back and read. It's so great. Uh, Most recently, I believe it was The Swallowed Man about Geppetto in The Whale. He also had a collection of illustrations that he did during lockdown at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, He's just an amazing illustrator. He did an illustration of Tom Waits for me, which is incredible. You can also see that in that book. He has a a middle grade trilogy I love, the Ironmonger trilogy about a family that runs the garbage heaps in town. He's just so great. And his books are full of his artwork because why wouldn't they be when you have this amazing other skill besides being an amazing writer? Like, of course, you're going to use it. He's, his illustrations are so cool. Edith Haller is set in 1901 at a theater in Norwich, England, 
Queen Victoria has just died. Her son, Edward VII, is now king. Uh, they've put the black crepe over everything in the theater to mourn properly. The star of this novel is indeed Edith Haller. She lives in the theater owned by her father. It's been in the family for a very long time. Edith's mother died in childbirth, uh, leaving her alone with her father. And at her christening when she was a baby, an elderly actress put a curse on her. They weren't sure if this very elderly woman was confused and was acting out a scene in Sleeping Beauty or was actually really cursing the baby. But they took it seriously and believed that Edith and everyone is doomed if she ever leaves the theater. So since she was born, Edith has lived in Holler Theater. There's even a sign that says, Holler Theater, home of the child who may never leave. She sits in a window most days with a little curtain. She opens the window. It's like she's in a department store. She puts on little plays. Uh, she waves at the people who come to look at her. Um, she's never left the property. She observes Norwich from the windows and the roof of the theater. And she loves to read about the town. She gets as many books and papers and maps as she can and just reads and reads and reads about the history of Norwich. And she's now 12, and she's finally realized she's discovered a pattern in reading the history of the town. Many, many, many children have gone missing over the many decades with no answer or resolution to their disappearance. Now, there's also a factory in town called the Beetle Spread Factory. It's a delicacy like a jam made in part of Death Watch beetles, which is why it's called the Beetle Spread. People love it. There are so many beetles around. You know, they're making use of them. The woman who started the company was called Mother Meg, and she was a very frightening figure. And Edith thinks that she has figured out that the children who have gone missing over the last century or so, have been being used in the Beatle spread. So she gets inspired, and she writes a play. She works very, very hard on it. Writes and writes and writes and writes and writes. And then she finishes it. She gives it to her father, who tells her, oh, it's quite good. You know, we're definitely going to put this on. But maybe don't accuse the town's largest employer of eating children. But also, maybe it wasn't really her father said that, because her father employs stand-ins to be him when he's not around. They dress up like him. So it's, you'll see, it's all, it's all very interesting. Uh, but he's, he's definitely decided that they're going to put this on the, the costume lady and the, the ushers and all the people are like very excited to get this going. But then news comes that her father is remarrying. This is going to be her father's fourth wife. All of his wives previous have met untimely ends. Or maybe this is his fifth wife. I can't remember now. I also read this a long time ago. Anyway, he's had a lot of wives. Edith's mother was his second. They've all met terrible ends. There's even like a little room that they keep in the theater with the, his wife's clothing on mannequins, which is very like bluebeard, bluebeardish. But Edith is brought to meet his new bride-to-be. It is Margaret Unthank, the woman who runs the Beetle Spread Factory. Now, is this a coincidence that she also all of a sudden takes an interest in Edith's father after the word gets out that they're writing a play saying that the Beatles Bread Factory eats children or puts children in their food for people to eat. Edith must decide if if Margaret is a friend or a foe and save her father and their theater from the clutches of a monster. It's, it's like, it sounds weird, right? It is. It's great. It's like part Sweeney Todd. It's Edward Gorey meets Charles Dickens. There's wonderful characters. So many characters. 
They have an old-fashioned way of talking. They have an unsentimental way of the times. Uh, everyone is struggling. Everyone is poor. Uh, they're also, this theater is the same. The theater is struggling. They're trying to keep the theater from falling apart because, you know, the holes in the roof and the heaters aren't working and all this stuff. It's a, it's a macabre comedy, I would call it. It's got a lot of death and unhappiness, like a lot of the people experienced at that time. But they also have this show must go on attitude and like, you know, entertainment is here for us in the hardest of times. And Edith is just so clever and fun. I want to give content warnings for anti-Semitism, ableism, sexism, infidelity, loss of a loved one, violence, child abuse, harm and death, trauma, gore, and suicide. This is Edith Holler by Edward Carey. My next pick is An Ordinary Violence by Adriana Chartrand. And I'm going to start by saying this book will not be for everybody, which seems like an obvious thing to say about any book that gets talked about. But reading the reader reviews of this one is interesting as I think it falls squarely into the kinds of things that many readers don't like. It's not a book of answers, but one of questions. There's not a good conclusion. And by good conclusion, I mean like a clear cut. We know what happened and what the answers are. And the horror elements in this one are of the cosmic variety, meaning that at the end of the book, there will be no clear boogeyman. It's the fear of fear that is the fear itself. So this is a book following Dawn and Cody, who lost their mother when they were both young. After both had wrapped up their high school years, Dawn left the small prairie town she grew up in and went to Toronto, while Cody stayed behind because Cody had been arrested for a terrible act of violence, one that Dawn witnessed and which flashes back throughout the book. In theory, everything should be going well for Dawn in her new city. She loves the first apartment she's in, loves her roommates, and even if the job she has is not great, it's a job. Uh, she feels like she's finally making it as an adult, but the bottom soon falls out and she's left in a dangerous relationship and she's thrown some of her stuff into a car and she's starting to drive back to the family home. Her dad is still there, and while their relationship is more about coexisting than it is of love or hate, when Dawn learns that Cody will be released from prison, all of the weird shadows and creatures that have periodically come into her periphery are now making themselves known. Some even speak in the voice of her mother. So Cody comes home, but he doesn't come home alone. He's got a new friend named Tyler, and the two of them are connected at the hip. Dawn has no good feelings about Tyler, and she cannot get any information about who he is, what his story is, or why he and Cody are so close. The nearest she can get is that Tyler was some kind of teacher in the prison and Cody was his student. Maybe. Dawn starts to believe that Tyler might be the leader of a supernatural cult, and she begins to stalk the two whenever she can. But all the leads Dawn gets on Tyler are blurring between real world and mystery world. Again, creatures are returning, and often in the shape of a rabbit. The voices are coming as well, and periodically those voices are that of her mother. The end of the book, we see that there is indeed something sinister about Tyler, but sharing that here would ruin what that might be or what it might not be. This is a short book, it's a quick read, and in addition to exploring the spaces between our world and the supernatural world, it's a story about trauma and violence and the impact and cultural realities of both on Indigenous and First Nations people. For Dawn, reliving the night her brother was arrested is central to why she's continued to struggle to make it on her own, and she is ready to break a cultural cycle of intergenerational violence, but... 
bearing witness to her brother succumbing to it makes it impossible to do so. This is also a story about colonization. We begin to see Tyler as representative of colonization, and this really comes to a head at the end of the book. Even if the answers aren't quote-unquote clear, they are for Dawn, and they are for the legacy of marginalized and um, colonized people. The writing in this book is creepy and beautiful. It is so lyrical, and it packs this powerful visual punch. I cheated a little bit. This is a paperback original that I'm talking about before we get to the paperback section, but I wanted to read it and share it for readers who like their books a little bit more potable and totable, if you will. And that is An Ordinary Violence by Adriana Chartrand. It's not cheating at all. This is its first day out, <laughs> so totally counts no matter what format it was in. Yeah, I, that's that was my th- thinking on it. Like, yeah. I, I love paperbacks, but I feel bad for those paperback originals that sometimes get a little bit lost in the shuffle. Like, yeah. you know, they don't get quite the same push. So I'm glad to give this one a little bit of a, like, yeah, you go pick it up. <laughs> so now we're going to talk about more of today's releases in hardcover and paperback that we are excited about but haven't necessarily read. I'm going to kick it off. I have two more that are, are Halloween reads that I hope to get to over the next few days. I haven't read these. My first is Nestlings by Nat Cassidy. Uh, Cassidy is the author of Mary and Awakening of Terror, which came out last year or the year before. It was very scary. This one is about a young couple who have had a baby it was a difficult birth, they're having a really hard time, and then they get the amazing news that they won the affordable housing lottery, and they will be moving to an amazing apartment in Manhattan in a building called the Deptford. But once they get there, they start experiencing weird things. They see things they can't un- understand, they hear disturbing things, and also something is leaving small bite marks on the baby. Like, scary? It's being compared to Rosemary's Baby and Salem's Lot, I love a scary book. Also, the cover and the title, actually, I should say the title, Nestlings, reminds me that I still have A Nest of Nightmares by Lisa Tuttle, which is this book of horror stories that that Valancourt Books did for their Paperbacks from Hell collection. Has this really creepy cover of these little birds in a nest. Anyway, (laughs) so I'm glad like when one thing reminds me of another. And yeah, all the scary reads. This is Nestlings by Nat Cassidy. And now we're going to hear from our next sponsor. Okay. Today's episode is brought to you by A Tempest of Tea by Hafsa Faisal. So Arthur Casimir is a criminal mastermind and collector of secrets. Her prestigious tea room transforms into an illegal bloodhouse by night because obviously it does. It caters to the vampires feared by society, but when her establishment is threatened, she has to make a deal with an alluring adversary. So Arthi hatches a plan to infiltrate the sinister, glittering vampire society known as the Ethereum, but not everyone in her ragtag crew is on her side. And as the truth behind the heist unfolds, Arthi finds herself in the midst of a conspiracy that will threaten the world as she knows it. So this is the highly anticipated next project from the author of We Hunt the Flame. It's got a fierce female lead. The story is fun and fast paced while also exploring significant themes like colonialism, prejudice, betrayal, and self-acceptance. I mean, it's got vampires and heists. Make sure to check it out, get into it, and thanks again to A Tempest of Tea by Hafsa Faisal for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Daughter of the Bone Forest by Jasmine Skye. 
Bone familiar Rosie spends most of her days in the Bone Forest, hiding her powers to avoid conscription by the Witch King's army. But when she saves the life of Princess Shaw, she's offered the chance to attend the prestigious school Witch Hall. And at Witch Hall, Rosie finds herself embroiled in political games she doesn't understand. Shaw wants Rosie as a partner to help lead the coming war. Meanwhile, all Rosie wants is to stay out of trouble. But she can't really deny her attraction to Shaw. So the question is, will Rosie give in to her destiny or will the Bone Forest call her home once and for all? Daughter of the Bone Forest by Jasmine Skye is for all the magic school lovers. This immersive magic school is full of witches and familiars. It's also a queer normative fantasy world with a sapphic slow burn romance like we love. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Daughter of the Bone Forest by Jasmine Sky for sponsoring this episode. Kelly, what do you have for us? I am cheating a little bit again. Like you could call my episodes cheating episodes because I kind, of, I kind of make my own rules. Um, and it's only cheating in so much as that this book came out last week and y'all didn't highlight it. So I wanted to give it a little boost. And that is uh, the book When We Become Ours, edited by Shannon Gibney and Nicole Chung. This is a YA anthology, and they rarely get a lot of attention. And second, this is a collection entirely by and about adoptees, a group that continues to be underrepresented in literature. So I thought, let's talk about how cool this book is. It seeks to change the second part, the part about adoptees who don't see themselves or get to be represented or get to imagine their stories. And I'm really excited to dig into it. Shannon Gibney has written about transracial adoption in her fiction, and Nicole Chung has covered it in her adult nonfiction, so the two of them working together to edit this collection is a dream team. They have brought together such an incredible array of writers, including Eric Smith, Mark Oshiro, Sun Young Sin, Meredith Ireland, and so many more. Each story is a different genre, showcasing a different adoptee experience, and some of the stories include teens learning how to perform on stage, a teen learning about her heritage and going on a journey to find community, and there's a ghost story about being haunted by the past. Speaking of ghost stories, there's something really powerful about anthologies that I love, both from the reader perspective and from the editor perspective. They're the kind of books that you don't have to read cover to cover, but can digest at your own pace. You know, read a story between big books, read several stories during a book slump, use the collection to help you discover new and emerging voices or to taste, you know, the work of an author who you've been curious about, but maybe haven't invested a whole novel's worth into. The stories are in conversation here and they're written with an adoptee audience in mind, but that's also why it's important for readers who aren't adoptees or have no knowledge of adoption at all to pick up the collection. And that is When We Become Ours, edited by Shannon Gibney and Nicole Chunk. All right. I don't really see anything as cheating as long as we're (laughs) talking about books. And even if we didn't talk about books, it would probably be okay too. But yeah, this is all about books. We love them. Um, my other one today is the other scary read that I was telling you about. Um, this one has very little description, so I don't know much about it other than it is called A Season of Monstrous Conceptions by Lena Rather. Lena Rather is the author of Sisters of the Vast Black and the second book in that duology, which I cannot think of, uh, the Our Lady of Endless Worlds duology, which is nuns in space. <laughs> you have to say it like that. Like, there's no other way to say it. Um, this one is set in 17th century London at a time when midwives are illegal 
It doesn't say why that is. I know that in some places it used to be illegal for women to deliver babies. So maybe that's why. But the main character in this novel is an apprentice in a secret group of illegal midwives. And around this time, babies start being born with unnatural things where their eyes should be. Um, which is just so upsetting. Uh, and I guess I just realized now, like, both have scary baby things in them. But the main character is hired to help the wife of a famous architect through her pregnancy, secretly. Uh, and the architect's obsession with the unnatural might be the ruin of them all. So, sounds creepy. I'm in. It's A Season of Monstrous Conceptions by Lena Rather. And my final book is The Evolving Truth of Ever Stronger Will by Maya McGregor. And this book is being compared to one of my favorites, which is Melinda Lowe's Last Night at the Telegraph Club. And it sounds fantastic, if not one that will be a challenging and emotional read. So Will is a gender, and at 17, they are so ready for their freedom from everything that has held them back growing up. This includes leaving their small town, no longer needing to care for their mother who struggles with addiction, and from having to hide who they really are. But Will's mother dies before they turn 18, and while Will is glad for the unexpected freedom to come early, they are not entirely prepared. Worse, Will's mother cursed them with her dying breath, saying it was Will's fault that she was dying. Now worried about the curse and worried about making it before being granted adulthood independence, Will needs to find their foster mother, Raz, ASAP. They don't want to be caught by Child Protective Services, and they definitely do not want to be found by the local drug dealers who played a role in their mother's death. But how can Will figure out a future if they need to travel into their past in order to find it? Can I just say the title of this book is brilliant. It's such a clever and powerful play on words. And I'm really looking forward to reading this one. And that is the ever, excuse me, I have to say it again. The Evolving Truth of Ever Stronger Will by Maya McGregor. It's a great title, but it's a mouthful. It is. I keep wanting to switch ever <laughs> and evolving, like, but it doesn't work quite the same way when you do that. But yeah. So those are books that we have read and that we want to read. And now I'm going to tell you about a few paperback releases out today. Some of them are paperback originals. Some of them are out from hardcover. The first is The Paleontologist by Luke Dumas. Dumas is the author of A History of Fear, which I think I just mentioned Last week, the week before, came out in paperback. This one is about a paleontologist who accepts a job at the very museum where his sister was abducted when he was little. A Shining by John Fosse and translated by Damien Searles. Fosse is the Norwegian author, translator, and playwright who was just awarded the 2023 Nobel Prize in Literature. This one is about a man who enters a dark forest and gets lost. From the description, that was all I took away from it. Like, it sounds like it's a very slow... And builds, and the man is lost. That's what I know. Black Punk Now by James Spooner and Chris L. Terry. This is an anthology of contemporary nonfiction, fiction, illustrations, and comics about punk and black punks. Toad by Catherine Dunn. Dunn is the author of the classic novel Geek Love. This was her unpublished novel that she wrote before Geek Love was published last year about a young woman who has retreated from the world. It also has an amazing cover. Just like, <laughs> I want to get it blown up really big and put on my wall. An Arrow to the Moon by Emily X.R. Pan. 
It's a YA retelling of Romeo and Juliet combined with Chinese mythology. Flight by Lynn Steger Strong, about three siblings at Christmas time who gather at one of their homes and tensions and old hurts come out over the holidays. The Ogress and the Orphans by Kelly Barnhill. This was a National Book Award finalist for children's literature about a very nice ogress who lives at the edge of a town who befriends the children. But when things start to go wrong in the town, the mayor blames the ogress and tries to turn the town against her. A Heart That Works by Rob Delaney. Delaney is a comedian. This is his memoir about the loss of his one-year-old son. It's very, very sad. I read it. It's very sad. But he's also very full of heart, and there's a lot of humor. I highly recommend checking out his Colbert interview that he did when the hardcover came out. That made me cry a lot, too. And Elatso by Darcy Little Badger, and illustrated by Rovina Kai. I have never seen... So many awards, <laughs> nominations, and star reviews for a book. If you look this book up, the list is so long. This is a YA set in an alternative America with a young girl who can see ghosts. But when her cousin dies, she sees his ghost and he tells her that he didn't die in a car accident. He was murdered. And now she's going to try and solve it. Truly amazing book. Just incredible. Um, worth or, or worthy of all the, the nominations and awards and everything, I should say. So those are books in paperback now. So, Kelly, what are you going to read next? I just started Howl by Sean David Hutchinson, which is a uh, story about a boy who is new to his Florida town and is attacked by something. Um, that's where I've gotten into the book so far. What about you? I am almost finished with Bride by Allie Hazelwood which is really fun. She wrote the love hypothesis mm. romance books um, and some other things. Uh, this one is supernatural. It's about a woman who is a vampire who must marry a werewolf to sort of make nice between the two vampires and werewolves, I guess is what I want to say. I don't know what words I needed there. Um, <laughs> but it's really fun. She's really snarky, and I really am enjoying it. That comes out on February 6th, and also coming out that day is the one that I want to read next. I just watched the author talk about this at a publisher event online. It's called Night Watching by Tracy Sierra, and it's everyone says it's terrifying because it's about a home invasion. So mm. right there, everyone's already afraid. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that one as well. And that is it for us today. You can visit mytbr.co, that's mytbr.co, to find out more about TBR and sign up. It only takes a few minutes. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. We love you, Jen. Thank you for all you've done. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. Kelly, where do you hang out online? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'm trying to like do more on my personal Substack than anywhere else, mm -hmm. and that is stackedthoughts.substack.com. All right. And I haven't been online much, but when I am, I'm usually on Instagram at Franzen Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us, and we appreciate it so, so much. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books. 
as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. Also, nuns in space! (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody. And happy Happy reading. reading.